thanks for joining us on the sixth episode of the Chasing the Consumer podcast. I'm your host, Annabelle Norman. I serve as managing partner here at the Talent Studios. We are a global executive search firm known for our work at the intersection of consumer and technology. I'm thrilled to have Abby Stone join us today. He serves as vice president of content at Well and Good. Abby, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. So excited to be here. Well, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd love to certainly introduce Well and Good. I'm sure you're better positioned to kind of share that with everyone and give them kind of an understanding of Well and Good and, and really what you guys are known for. Sure. So Well and Good is a digital media company focused on health and wellness. Um, we were founded in 2010, so we're just over a decade old now. And we've really led from a journalistic point of view from the beginning. So diving into original reporting and speaking to experts and compiling trend spotting data since the very beginning. Um, we've grown exponentially over that decade and also in the five years that I've been at Well and & Good. And we're now reaching about 15 million people every month on wellandgood.com. And we have um, millions of more users and readers finding us across social media and YouTube and with our recently launched podcast. I love it. That's amazing. So you guys, you know, obviously are kind of at the forefront of health and wellness and, and really what's happening, you know, around the globe. And with the pandemic, we've seen just a massive shift in consumer behaviors, as I'm sure you've seen as, you know, consumers have moved away from their commute to the office to commuting to their desk in their living room. And, you know, health and wellness becomes, you know, has became, I guess, top of mind for everyone, right? Um, because there's less barriers between what is work and what is home. And I'm curious, you know, I'd love to kind of get just an overview from you, Abby, on, you know, some of the trends that you guys covered in your 2022 wellness report um, and kind of what what's on the horizon here and, and what companies should be thinking about as they look to really engender the trust of consumers via amazing products, content. Um, and you, you name it. Absolutely. So yeah, I think you're exactly right, Annabelle. Starting around the beginning of the pandemic, it really forced people to think about their health and wellness in a different way and think about it in a more holistic way in the way that the the practices that they do every day impact not only themselves, but the health and wellness of others as well. And I think that really started a shift in perspective for consumers. And at the same time, as you mentioned, people weren't able to go out and about their daily lives the way that they did before. Many people were stuck at home for years and many people still are. And that really forced the leading companies and brands in the health and wellness space to change their delivery models and to reach consumers where they were, which was largely at home. So I think one of the overarching trends that we've seen trickle down into kind of every facet of the wellness industry in the past two years, and we'll see continuing into 2022 and beyond, are an increased focus on digital models um, and being able to reach consumers in their homes. And then now that things are opening up a bit more, these companies that were first to pivot to digital are now turning to a more hybrid model where they're reaching consumers in their homes, um, but also providing physical spaces for consumers to join them as well. It's interesting you say that. So it sounds like, you know, Well and Good's really thinking that in lieu of the pandemic and as hopefully this transitions into more of an endemic, that consumers will start to join brands again back for more experiential and in-person, you know, type things. Um, are there any kind of brands that, you know, you would point to that you were able to kind of track 
during your trend, you know, spotting process and analysis at Well and Good that you thought was really interesting and at the forefront of what we'll be seeing more of into 2022 and beyond? Yeah, I think we see it in the fitness space a lot in particular. So brands like, um, if you take SoulCycle, for instance, right? So prior to the pandemic, they were completely an in-person experience. You had to go to a SoulCycle studio in order to get um, that spinning class experience. And then right around when the pandemic started, they launched their version of an at-home bike that you could purchase at home. They started streaming classes that you could access at home. And now they're going back to um, you know offering those in-person rides while still building up their digital portfolio. And during the first year of the pandemic in particular, we saw them do a lot of um, like pop-up locations as well, where they held these outdoor classes for large groups of people. So I think really adapting um, with each new beat of this new world we're living in. I love that. That's fantastic. And, you know, I think it's really interesting that you guys on another note really kind of covered, you know, things that have been considered previously, you know, taboo to now become more mainstream, right. And becoming ways that we're treating, you know, different illnesses or ailments, right. I think previously in the years, you know, that we've seen prior to 2022, right. Those were the kind of things that we only heard about, you know, tech CEOs doing in Silicon Valley. Right. And now they're looking at things like MDMA and, you know, magic mushrooms, right. To treat a myriad of, you know, different illnesses and, and mental health issues. What are some companies that you think are kind of at the forefront of that? You know, I'm obviously aware of, you know, Nootropics and Thesis and a couple of these other ones that are tapping into the power of mushrooms to really help, you know, from everything from becoming more creative to, you know, obviously focusing and shifting away from things that we have, you know, taken in the past, like Adderall and things like that to be able to be more effective at work. Yeah. So in our trends report, we really focused um, more specifically on the use of psychedelics Mm -hmm. for mental health treatments. So largely things like depression and anxiety and the types of things you would take antidepressants like SSRIs for. There's now a lot of burgeoning research to support taking psychedelics for those, which is super interesting. Um, And kind of the, the catalyst for this reaching more of the general public rather than being like a super insular industry thing that people spoke about was when Oregon legalized the use of um, psilocybin mushrooms for mental health treatment in uh, 2020. So that really started a conversation around legalization for psychedelics that mirrors what we saw around cannabis and around CBD. And we continue to see around cannabis um, and CBD in terms of legalization. So, so yeah, there are these organizations that are cropping up now to um, provide these, you know, provide psychedelics in a doctor prescribed safe um, controlled environment because there is a lot of promising research. More research certainly needs to be done, but a lot of promising research that people in the mental health community are excited about um, in this space. So one of them is called Field Trip Health, and they offer ketamine clinics for folks to uh, partake in. Um, And another one is called, I believe it's New Life, and and NUE also has ketamine clinics. And ketamine is the one psychedelic drug that is currently legal um, and can be prescribed by a doctor. Psilocybin, like I mentioned, is, you know, 
starting to gain traction. There was that legalization in Oregon and then a handful of other cities followed suit. Um, and as you mentioned, Annabelle, there seems to be potential promise with things like MDMA and Molly as well. But that, you know, that hasn't been quite as studied as the others to date. No, that certainly makes sense. And it, it's amazing, right, that we're able to tap into things that are, you know, more naturally occurring, perhaps, than, you know, would have been historically created to help, you know, solve for some of these issues and, you know, ailments that, you know, everyone kind of deals with. In terms of, you know, virtual health and care kind of on that topic, you know, I think we also saw this massive shift in the pandemic where, you know, you didn't want to go to the doctor, right? It was scary. You were scared you were going to be exposed to COVID. And so, you know, working with the likes of, you know, for us personally, an executive search, one of our clients is Grand Rounds, which is Doctor on Demand, who've really been at just the forefront of virtual care and creating a best practice for that and are working to really democratize, right, healthcare and enable all consumers to receive, um, you know, exceptional care. So I'm curious, Will we continue to see consumers shift towards that? Was that just a pandemic trend or do you think that's an ongoing trend we'll see going forward? I think it's absolutely an ongoing trend. Um, when I spoke to medical experts about telehealth and about the boom of telehealth, um, they were kind of universally surprised, pleasantly surprised by how quickly consumers changed to a telehealth model and, and adapted it and, and saw how much more convenient it could be for their lives. And I think telehealth is going back to those hybrid models that we were talking about is another one where you can do a lot virtually with your doctor, but there are some instances where you're always going to have to go in. Um, but this way, at least you can take care of those initial visits without ever leaving your home, um, which is super exciting to me because um, geography has historically been one of the biggest barriers for people to get the health care that they need. Right. Um, they could be someone who, you know, their job doesn't let them take time off you know, a longer time off to travel to the doctor. They could be someone who doesn't have childcare um, to, you know, to someone to watch their children while they're, they're seeing a doctor. They could be elderly or have mobility issues. Um, and Or they just know, don't want to leave the office for an hour, right? I mean, no one sure. wants to commute. It takes me like 30, 40 minutes just to get to my doctor's office for a 15 minute visit. And you know, time is kind of money at the end of the day when you're looking at it in terms of your day and, and how you're allocating it. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I think it's been really great for a number of people. And we've seen organizations, you know, new healthcare startups that are specifically targeted to some of these underrepresented groups as well, which is really exciting. So we see Maven Health in particular is looking to service women and families. Tia Health is another one um, meant to center women. And we have a number that are focusing on um, lower income and elderly communities as well. And you're also seeing, obviously, now medications, right? You can, you know, get them online, right, and ship to your door. Whereas, you know, previously, again, you're waiting in line at the pharmacy. It's like, you know... A crisis, you know, with insurance, whether or not they decided to cover, you know, your medication during that visit. So, you know, I think that that too is just so interesting and enables consumers, no matter their geographic location, to be able to, you know, receive wonderful care and, you know, medicine as well without having to travel really far. Absolutely. That's great. Another thing that I thought was really interesting, you know, I think that, you know, over the pandemic, right, I think a lot of people were leaning into things that 
were liberating or helped them check out from the real life because it was overwhelming. And, you know, as a shift to that, I think we've also seen people kind of have shifted away from alcoholic beverages, right? And there's more of these offerings, right? Of having a cocktail, but not actually having the alcohol or liquor inside of that cocktail. So still, you know, kind of the, I guess, uh, the culture of cocktail without the actual cocktail in it. And I'm curious, you know, tell me a little bit more about that. I know a lot of brands are starting to offer you know, wonderful at-home cocktail solutions or drinks and things like that. Yeah, I'm super excited about this um, because I think that it's a real example of supply meeting demand. And this is a really consumer-led trend where people, um, for a number of reasons, were looking for better options um, for what we have called mocktails, but are now being called zero-proof or low or no ABV cocktails. I think you know, there's a few kind of driving forces behind this trend. One being that greater awareness of health and wellness that I spoke about kind of at the top of the interview where people are understanding in new way, you know, we've always known that alcohol is not like great for you. Right. But it's often been in the context of something like a hangover, you're feeling gross the next day. And now I think people are more aware of the ways that alcohol impacts their sleep, impacts their mental health, um, can have an effect on things like depression. So people want to drink less of it. And there are all of these amazing new brands that are rising to fill that need. I love hearing that. Um, and are you, are there any specific brands that like, you know, you'd call out that are kind of at the forefront of this and you feel like they've done an exceptional job of cornering this new market and, and providing exceptional mocktails at home? Yeah. So one of the first that um, started gaining a lot of recognition a couple of years ago is Seedlip, which you might have heard of. They create a non-alcoholic spirit that's more similar to gin. It's very botanical. Um, and they were one that kind of, I think, emerged onto the scene and really caught people's attention. And they've continued to roll out new products since then. Um, there's another brand called Aplos um, that's really interesting. And they actually infuse things like adaptogens, which are herbs that help reduce stress into their cocktails as well. Um, and I believe they have some with CBD too. So they're really taking to heart the reason that a lot of people might turn to a glass of wine at the end of the night, you know, to unwind and they're creating um, spirits without alcohol that give you a similar effect in terms of lowering stress. I love that. I think that that's so necessary. And there were wonderful books that, you know, came out talking about just drinking culture and and kind of how it's became like a part of everyday life. And, you know, it's not necessarily right. The best thing for you to, to tap into, um, you know, every single day. On the beauty side of things, you guys, um, you know, were able to spot some really interesting trends. You know, obviously with the pandemic, there was a while there when we all couldn't see our hairstylists, right? And so people were leaning into brands like Madison Reed to get their hair done. And then there was also this thing where you couldn't even see your esthetician, right? And so, you know, consumers were really kind of leaning into, you know, at-home beauty tools to create, you know, a very similar experience at home to what they had, you know, in spa previously. And I'm curious, do you, do you feel like that's a trend, you know, that will, the consumers will, you know, continue to lean into in terms of, you know, beauty devices and, and tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think what we've seen is exactly what you were just saying, Annabelle, is that people couldn't see 
someone in person for many of the beauty treatments like um, like facials or microdermabrasion or Botox in some instances um, that they that they would frequent before the pandemic um, and technology for devices that give you similar effects has just improved so much in the past year um, and now there are a number of devices on the market that give you you know a similar, effect to the the types of procedures that you could get from an esthetician. And I think one of the reasons why it will continue to be a trend and not something that will go away once people are regularly going back to see their estheticians and dermatologists is that the founders of this company are very aware of price point and how these devices tend to be very expensive. um, And they're actively working to create devices at a lower price point to continue to reach more people. That's great. That's great. Um, I'm personally a big fan of the droplet, um, which has received a lot of funding. And I believe it was MIT undergrads that, you know, kind of cornered this really cool market of delivering products that are, you know, more efficacious and absorbed um, more efficiently, which is amazing. And beauty as well, though, in terms of your report, I think there was also really interesting data just around, you know, genderless beauty, right? Thinking agnostically about that consumer, like why does there need to be men versus, you know, women face cream or deodorant, right? I think that there's always been kind of this one versus the other. And you've seen those memes, of course, about men, right? They use the same body wash as they would face wash, right? And somehow you know, they age very well. And and we women will use like 10,000 different products. It's not to say we age any different. It's just, you know, obviously, I think a, a running joke for sure that, you know, that's, it's definitely an underlining theme that, you know, genderless is, is definitely on the forefront in terms of consumer products and beauty in general. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you've likely heard a lot about the pink tax as well. So the prices of a shaving cream, for instance, that's very similar, except for maybe the scent um, of a shaving cream f- created for men. The one for women is, is you know, more expensive. I think brands are more aware that there doesn't need to be a difference between products created for men and women and, and more beauty brands are actively looking in their marketing to erase gender from the equation as well, which is a trend that's really been driven by Gen Z, I believe, um, who are spearheading these conversations around the gender binary and being more aware of the full spectrum of gender identities for people and not painting people into a box in terms of products that only work for men or only work for women. And I love that. Another thing too, I thought was really interesting, kind of along the lines of consumers being able to use Madison Reed between salon visits and things like that to touch up. You know, I think that, you know, it was really interesting, the multicultural consumer, right? It had been just such a vastly underserved customer in terms of beauty and innovation that was really catered there, right? And um, I think it's been amazing what we've seen in terms of just being able to take care of natural hair at home rather than having to go to the salon and visit a, a spa. So I think that that's you know, been amazing. And one of my clients is Urban Skinner X and over 90% of their customers are diverse, which I just is amazing. And, and so I think that that's just such an interesting trend as well, as we continue to see brands lean into the multicultural consumer and create products for them, you know, that specifically that they can trust and rely on and not feel like they need to go elsewhere to be able to receive, you know, amazing care and, you know, service around beauty. 
Yeah. So when looking at the market for textured hair and natural hair for African-American women in particular, you know, black women were forced to for so long if they wanted a, a particular product kind of play chemist in their kitchen and mixing and matching and, and create the products that they needed because they couldn't find it on stores, shelves. Um, or if they did, you know, it was products targeted for black women in like an ethnic aisle. Mm-hmm. Um, at the, you know, the bottom shelf in the corner of your CVS. So, um, so what we're seeing now is more attention and rightfully so being paid to these companies that are centering previously underrepresented groups. Um, and yeah, it's super exciting to see one that I'm really excited about in particular is called Bread Beauty Supply. It was a member of the Sephora Accelerate class of 2019. And they create this really cool mud mask, which is very similar to the type of thing that many women used to potentially concoct in their kitchens. And now you can buy it on the shelves, which is so much more convenient. I love that. That's amazing. That's great. And I want to shift into just the home, right? Health and wellness extends beyond, you know, what we put on our body and what we put into our body. And I'm curious, what kind of trends there you felt like really stood out for the 2022 analysis and, um, you know, what you think we'll be seeing into the future? Yeah. So a big one um, that I'm particularly into is the idea that we're tracking metrics, health metrics within our home the same way now that we would track you know, our steps or our heart rate. And there are so many smart uh, air monitors that are now, now available, air purifiers and air monitors that can alert you to when the air quality in your home isn't where it should be. And a lot of them will not only alert you um, that there's something to be aware of in the air in your homes, but will also provide tips and suggestions and actions you can take to improve that air quality. So it's moving beyond just the, you know, blinking light on your air purifier and, and really giving you more, you know, more tools to take control of the air quality in your home. I I love hearing that. That's great. In terms of just, you know, sustainable home care, you know, cleaner, you know, home care, we obviously saw that in the, you know, early 2000s, right. Where, you know, you've got method products and Mrs. Myers, which are really kind of at the forefront of that. I wholeheartedly believe there's, you know, other brands as well who are starting to solve and create a more diverse category there in terms of better for you and better for your home. One of them is actually a client of ours, Branch Basics. We we love kind of seeing the innovations they're bringing to market. And then, you know, outside of that, I think there's, you know, just a lot more innovation that is exciting, right? And consumers are really leaning into as they, you know, look to step away from bleach and other harsh toxins, right? And they're, you know, cleaning with more efficacious and, and higher quality in terms of um, better free products. Exactly. This is a really interesting trend to me because it's a space where we saw a lot of traction being gained in the late 20 teens. And then the pandemic kind of put a stop in it for a bit because everyone was so afraid and they started to turn to these harsher products again that in their mind meant that they worked better, right? So all of a sudden there was no Clorox on the shelves, there was no bleach. And, you know, now we're seeing people move away from that as we've learned more about the virus in particular. And we know that surface areas are not where the virus tends to be spread. It's opened up the door again for this trend to continue to gain speed. And it's one where 
you know, the big brands in particular are forced to really examine the way that they deliver their products to consumers to have less plastic, have less water. The everyday consumer is more aware of climate change um, and the need to be sustainable than ever before. So yeah, it's this cool thing where we see these new brands popping up that are focused on, you know, creating these like waterless products. Blue Land is another one I don't think you mentioned. And at the same time, we're seeing a lot of pressure on, you know, the huge CPG brands as well to, um, to change their practices. Yeah, no, I, I completely empathize with that. And I had my second, who was a pandemic baby. And, you know, obviously being pregnant, I was you know, freaking out about the virus. And I had to go to LA on a business trip and I took Clorox wipes with me, right? So I use Clorox wipes. I wiped down my entire room. I wiped down like the handles and the Ubers. I mean, I was like very vigilant about making sure I Clorox wiped everything. Um, and sure enough, like I got so sick, absolutely just so sick from, you know, using these chemicals, using these products and being around them during that trip. And it's kind of opened my eyes to just being really mindful about certain things that we use and being really mindful about when we decide to use them and, and obviously using more of those clean products, which is great. Well, I'd love to just you know shift the co- the conversation just to well and good in general. And I feel like you guys run just such an amazing, robust strategy to content where you blend kind of these amazing feel-good videos that you come across on your feed, whether it's on Instagram or TikTok or elsewhere, right? You know, it's not directly pushing, you know, any of the content, but more or less like this ethos of like health and wellness and happiness. And I'd love to just kind of tap into you real quickly in this last conversation on kind of your goals for well and good in the future. And, and you know, as you continue to diversify content in your way of reaching consumers. Yeah. So you hit on a real core element of our strategy, which is finding our readers and our users where they are and creating individual strategies for each platform and creating content differently on each platform where we operate um, because the TikTok consumer is very different than the YouTube consumer, than the people that find us on Apple News. Um, So it's really about finding which segments of our audience are on which platforms, figuring out what they like and what they find engaging, and then building out our content strategy from there. I love that. That's great. Well, we will look forward to continuing to watch um, as the end user on these platforms and We'll certainly keep an eye out for the 2023 trends and look forward to kind of seeing how the 2022 ones come into fruition and become more of an emboldened philosophy and way of life. Thank you again, Abby. Loved chatting today and look forward to having you back on the podcast in the near future. Thanks so much. It was so fun. All right. Thank you. Thank you.